everyone. This is Yvette Hampton. Welcome back to the Schoolhouse Rocked podcast. I am back with Renton Rathbun, and we're talking about worldview, about biblical worldview, because everybody has a worldview, right? You hear people say separate, separation of church and state, and I'm not religious, and blah, blah, blah. Everybody, everybody has a religion. Everybody has a worldview of some sort. And so what worldview does your family have? What worldview are you teaching to your kids? And so we've spent this week defining what worldview is, what a biblical worldview is, what a secular worldview is, and how we can incorporate that into our homeschool. Um, and just the importance of that. I mean, it's, it is the most important thing in our homeschool is what is it that we're teaching our kids? Are we teaching them through the lens of scripture? Are we teaching them truth? And uh, so we're, we're grateful to have resources to be able to do that in our homeschools today. Many years ago, during those pioneer days, those pioneer parents didn't have all the resources that we have. And so I'm thankful that the Lord has had us homeschool in a time when we do have those, and it makes it so much easier for us. So we're going to talk more about that today. We're going to talk about apologetics and what that looks like in our homeschools as well, um, and just holiness. We're going to talk about our children's holiness and how biblical worldview leads to that. Uh, but before we get back into it, I want to say thank you again to our sponsor, CTC Math. If you guys are looking for a great online math program that makes it easy for you that you don't have to do, you don't have to teach it to your kids. You can sit with them and learn along with them, or you can just, I don't know, maybe do the dishes while they're doing their math problems. <laughs> um, that's that's always, that's like multitasking, right? They're learning math, you're doing dishes. It's, it's a win-win for everybody. Um, or maybe making dinner. I don't know. I'd rather do dishes than make dinner. But I would rather make dinner than teach math. <laughs> so CTC Math will do that for you. Visit them at ctcmath.com and try them out for free. Well, Renton, welcome back to the podcast. Um, I've loved this conversation, and I want to talk about our child's holiness and, and what does biblical worldview have to do with the holiness of our child? It kind of explain that and unpack that for us. Absolutely. Yeah, we... We run the danger when we talk about biblical worldview of keeping it a mental, um, a mental workout, um, helping the kids, you know, trace back their beliefs back to how you know that we can justify our beliefs through God's word, and that's wonderful. The problem is if they're not shaped by it, even into their hearts, where it becomes a part of who they are, um, we're really wasting our time because what what ends up happening is they they grow up and they say, well, that was mom and dad's faith. That wasn't mine. Um, and they may have learned all those things, but it, if it doesn't hit the heart, um, we're in trouble. And so I've been thinking a lot about this because someone challenged me on this, actually. I had just given a, some speech on biblical worldview and, and you know assessments and all that sort of stuff. And they said, well, there's something missing about this whole thing. And I'm like, well, what? What's missing? Um you know, maybe I can turn into a speech or something. And they were like, uh, they're like, well, what about holiness? I mean, how does this make anyone, you know, actually act different? And what's concerning to me is that we, we live at a time where it seems like even the church despises holiness. They, mm -hmm. they despise having to take a stand against LGBTQ stuff. They despise mm -hmm having to take a stand against sin. They they don't want to be Pharisees, and they use that as a shield to not have to obey God's law. And so we have to tie a biblical worldview to God's Word, and not just to God's Word, but how do we get our, our young people loving God's Word? 
Mm-hmm. Um, David says that he, he said in the Psalms, he said, I love your law. I mean, I mean, how do, how do we start helping our kids understand that we are, you know, the law isn't evil. The, the law is, you know, we can't by ourselves follow the law, but, but the law is God's character and loving the law, loving God's word is loving God's character. One of the main things that I think is so powerful about homeschooling is is being able to have home worship, um, where the where the kids um, see that okay, this this is a part of my learning. This is a part of you know what we do right before we eat, we pray. Um, mom and dad want me to go to church, but also part of our routine in the day is that we really do believe this so much that mom and dad are gonna worship God with you. And we're gonna we're gonna sing songs. We're we're gonna read a little bit out of God's word, and then we're gonna talk about it. And it doesn't have to be six hours long. It doesn't have to be a sermon. It doesn't even have to be prepped for it. It just has to be a time where the family sits around and actually worships the Lord in an organized way. Um, so the so our kids start seeing that we do believe this. This isn't just curriculum. This isn't just um, habits. But this is something mom and dad believe so deeply that we want to worship with you. And I think that's part of that whole biblical worldview work that we have to do with our kids. Yeah. Define holiness for me. I, I know what holiness is. <laughs> I want to hear your definition. I, my definition of holiness is, is simple. It's set apart. It's being set apart, just as Christ mm-hmm. is set apart. Um, if someone asked you to define holiness, how would you define holiness? Yes, I would. I would begin with with that whole idea of being set apart, because I think what people first believe is holiness is being better than other people um, mm-hmm. in our works. Yeah, and we we you know immediately start start thinking there's a works righteousness going on. But no, it's being set apart so that we might be able to imitate God, and in imitating Him, we want to imitate His character. Yeah, and how do I imitate God's character? Well, He gave us. He gave us the Ten Commandments. He's given us all kinds of commands throughout the throughout His Word. Um, he's commanded us how we're supposed to love our children. He's commanded us how we're supposed to love our wives. How wives are supposed to respect their husbands. Um, all that, all the work of family work, um, all the work of even knowing this that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So that knowledge is never neutral. Well, all those things revolve around how do I imitate? And I imitate through imitating his character. This was so important to Paul. Paul even said, look, if you're, if you're not getting this, imitate me because I'm trying to imitate Christ. So imitate me. Do what I'm doing because I'm trying to do what Christ is doing. And it does, it does require an absolute commitment to the reality of God's word, not not the not the addition of God's word, but the reality of God's word. So Martin Luther uh, put it this way: He believes that God's word was God speaking reality into being. And so, just like in Genesis, when when God says, "Let there be light," light had to exist at that moment because God spoke reality into being. Yeah. And Luther said, that doesn't stop after creation. It keeps on going. So when God says any other thing throughout his word, 
He is speaking those things into being. Those things are absolutely true. He is describing and speaking reality into being through his word, which makes his word the foundation of all reality, because that's how he spoke to us. Which means, then, that being set apart requires us to obey. It requires it. It's not, it's not obedience to, and this is, I don't want to get all philosophical on you, but it's not, it's not that we live in this world where there's these principles out here, and then God came in, and, and he wants us to, to live this way, and so we kind of cater to what he wants, although there's these more fundamental principles out here. Mm-hmm. Um, if that were the case, then yes, we'd all have to be Pharisees in order to obey God. Because there's more fundamental principles than God out there. But the truth is there aren't there's nothing more fundamental than God. So obedience yeah. to the Lord is the most um healthy thing you can possibly do. Um and that that holiness is what's gonna drive your kids to the most important part about learning, which is being interested in what they're learning. Yeah. I mean, imagine a kid that that may not be too interested in math, but he he loves God so much that if you say, well, there's actually a biblical worldview of math, and suddenly they're gaining interest in math because they love God, they love his character, so they love his word. Um, And that interest then becomes that that catalyst for every uh, subject you teach that gets your student, your kid interested. Yeah. I love that you keep bringing up math (laughs) because math (laughs) truly is, I mean, it's one of those subjects that people think, you know, well, how can I teach math from a biblical worldview? It's Um, simple. God is a God of order, not chaos. And when you look at the order of math and how math makes sense, like any mathematical problem only makes sense because of God. (laughs) I mean, if, if man tried to create math, can you imagine what a mess it would be? It would never make sense ever. But God is so wise and so structured that he made math. I mean, and even though I don't enjoy teaching math, um, I appreciate math and I understand that it really does help us to see the holiness of God. It helps us to see God as the most incredible creator ever. Um, You know, it, it, it really is amazing. So anyway, let's take a break. We'll be right back. No parent should homeschool alone. You have a God-given calling to bring up your child to love God and to steward His creation. And BJU Press exists to help you be successful in that endeavor. Visit their website at bjupresshomeschool.com or call 1-800-845-5731 to connect with an experienced homeschool consultant. Apologia supports homeschool families with Christ-centered K-12 homeschool curriculum designed to engage your student as they experience the awe and wonder of creation and their creator. Designed by leading scholars with a biblical worldview, Apologia's award-winning curriculum is written in a conversational tone directly to the student to encourage independence. Hands-on activities and experiments help students solidify the concepts they're exploring and build a lifelong love of learning. Visit us at Apologia.com. We are back with Renton. Um, Let's talk about apologetics. So we're talking about holiness. We're talking about being set apart. Once we teach our kids from a biblical worldview, once they really understand what it is that they believe and why they believe it, 
and and we're working. I mean, it's a constant thing. It's not like, oh, we're holy today. You know, <laughs> we have arrived at holiness. <laughs> That's never going to happen. But as we are growing in a relationship with the Lord and as our kids are, and as they're understanding more and more uh, why God created them, who they are as humans, um, apologetics is a really important part of that. Explain apologetics and how should we do that at home? How can we teach our kids apologetics from the home? So first explain what it is for those who may not know, and then let's talk about how we can teach that at home. Oh, that's great that you 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 require a definition because I'll tell you what uh, there are grown-ups that don't understand uh, that are in academia that don't understand what it is, um, and the reason why I think it's great that we're saving it for the end is because of this one issue: if worldview, if especially a biblical worldview, um, is how I interpret the world using God's word, if we don't have that in their hearts first. They're not going to defend that worldview, which is what apologetics is. Mm-hmm. Um, if we start teaching apologetics without biblical worldview being in their hearts, all they're doing is defending mom and dad's worldview. Yeah. And by the time they become teenagers and leave your home, uh, they will they will defend mom and dad's worldview for only so long. Um, it has to be theirs. And so, um, and so that's what makes it so important. So, um, apologetics is different than worldview because apologetics is how I defend my worldview using a method. So, there's a there. Whenever you use apologetics, whether you know it or not, you're using a method. Um, there's about five basic methods that are out there that are pretty popular. Um, I won't go into all that. But the point is, is that you're using a method to defend, uh, in our case, to defend the faith. And what is the faith? Our faith comes from God's word. So what we're doing when we're doing apologetics is we're using a method in order to defend God's word. Now, let me be clear. Um, does God need us to do this? No. But I always use this, this example. Um, I have a seven-year-old son named Jude. Um, and if he's on the playground uh, with other kids from the neighborhood and whatnot, the other kids from the neighborhood surround him and say, your dad's dumb. I think your dad's stupid. And they start making fun of his dad. Um, you know, I do I need my seven-year-old to defend me against other seven-year-olds? Well, not really. I mean, I could probably beat up seven-year-olds. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, that, that, maybe I'm strong enough. Um, but the point isn't whether I'm more powerful than other seven-year-olds, right? The The point is, what happens when Jude starts defending me? Um, I start feeling, if I can put it this way, glorified. I feel like I feel my son loves me. I feel like my son um, knows me enough to know how to defend me and loves me enough to actually do the work of defending me. Mm-hmm. And so then the question is, do we do that for our father? Do we know him enough to know how, you know, how do I defend him? But do we love him enough to do that work? And so when I'm thinking of apologetics, um, my first my first piece of advice to, to parents is this. Beware of any apologetics that wants to try and prove that the Bible is right or validate the Bible. And I say this because when I taught logic, 
um, what I what I would teach my students is this: when you use one thing to confirm another thing, the thing that's doing the confirming is authoritative over that which it's being confirmed. Does that make sense? No. <laughs> so, if I'm using, so if I say, okay, well, you're going to have to this, simplify this for me. <laughs> yeah, this uh, this here, this this evidence proves this thing. Okay. Whatever I'm, you know, we do this in the court of law. We say evidence is the superior thing that tells us whether a person is guilty or not guilty. Guilty or not sure. guilty is pretty small compared to the evidence that would be helpful. So evidence is superior. Um, and so, um, so when someone wants to do that with scripture, I'm always trying to caution people. Be careful of someone that says, I know scripture is true because of X. Uh, because of some evidence they found or some logical idea that they've come up with. Because logic and evidence is not powerful enough to prove Scripture. Mm-hmm. Scripture is above evidence and and logic and all that. It's above it because it's God's speech. It's really God's speech. It's not just a bunch of men that got together that tried their best. This is God's speech to us, which means nothing other than the Holy Spirit himself can validate or prove God's word. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that's supernatural, and we've got to stop being afraid of supernatural things, mm. especially in apologetics. Yeah. When, when, a, when someone starts believing Scripture, something supernatural happened. The Holy Spirit yeah. came upon them, and they right. believed. And that's what you have to believe. That I understand. Gonna, <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, if we're going to do apologetics, I, I try to bring it down to three major ideas. First of all, when someone raises up an argument against the knowledge of God, it is our it's a requirement that we uh, break down that knowledge uh, or break down that uh, barrier, that argument that they raised up against the knowledge of God. Mm-hmm. This doesn't mean that I need to prove that the Bible's true. It means that they they brought up an argument that's either valid or invalid, and I have to show that it's invalid. Mm-hmm. That argument doesn't work. And that's where you have a lot of good uh, apologists out there that do good work um, on that sort of thing. But you have to be really clear that's what you're doing. I'm, I'm invalidating your argument. I'm not trying to prove the Bible's true. The Bible is what proves everything else is true. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I want to make sure that work is clear. Um the other thing I want to do is I want to show that when someone brings up an argument that their whole system of thinking actually is wrong. So if, if you know, you have someone like Jim Carrey that says, well, you know, um, uh, you know, nothing really matters because when we die, um, we just become more energy. We go back to the energy thing. And so nothing actually matters. I'm like, well, does that work? Does it work to say that nothing matters? Um, then you'd have to go and and show that that system just doesn't work. If you say that something doesn't matter, well, then why are you telling me that? Does that yeah, matter? It doesn't matter. I mean, <laughs> yeah, the whole system doesn't work. Um, and then lastly, you want people to acknowledge, especially in apologetics, you want to make sure that they're acknowledging the power of the gospel. Mm-hmm. So number one, are they really hitting the argument that's at that's at stake? Number two, are they attacking the whole system that that argument's based on, the whole thinking that's behind it, that helps you see 
if you think this way, it's not just the argument that, that that's wrong. The whole way of thinking is wrong. So does the, does the apologetics do that? And lastly, does the apologetics demonstrate the power, the absolute massive power of the gospel? Or does the apologetics you're looking at, does it, is it embarrassed about the gospel? Um, I have seen a lot of apologetics where they are embarrassed about the gospel. And what you want is apologetics that do all it, all it can to get to the gospel, because that's where the power is. Wait, um, what do you mean by embarrassed about the gospel? Um, I mean, they don't mention it or demonstrate that this is why we're having the conversation. Hmm. Um, a lot of apologetics stop short and just, you know, they, they, they bring the argument to a close and say, see, that argument's bad. They're like, well, so what? So what if the argument's bad? What's the, where's the power? And the power right. is in the gospel. Let me give you an example. Um, William Lane Craig just came out with a book where he, William Lane Craig, I'm sorry, is a famous apologist. Okay. Um, I think he's a professor down at Houston Christian University somewhere. Uh, used to be at Biola. Big name out there. Um, he just came out with a book where he has decided that the first 11 chapters of the Bible are actually just myths. Hmm. There's myths. Um, now, myth is important because myth is very helpful for us to understand God and, and right. things like that. But it's still just myth. And so we can't, you know, we <laughs> got to be clear that about that. Sure. Um, and so what he's done is he's ashamed of the gospel. He's ashamed of God's word to the point where he's willing to call it myth to be accepted by the other academics out there. Wow. And, and that happens a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Even people that put more faith in a trinket they found in the desert to to demonstrate that the Bible might be true. I mean, we do not need to find gopher wood on a mountain to believe, you know, the flood. Right. We need the Holy Spirit to believe the flood. If they find gopher wood on a mountain, that's awesome. Right. But I didn't need <laughs> that to believe it. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. Yeah. That totally makes sense. Yeah. So again, it all goes back to the Holy Spirit. It all goes back yes. to Jesus. It, it goes back to understanding God's word as the ultimate authority. And in order to understand that, we have to know it. In order to know it, we have to study it. We that's have right. to teach it to our kids. So so yeah, that's how it all ties up, right? It's all about that's Jesus. Right. It's all about the gospel. That's what a biblical worldview looks like. Um, and it is the most important thing. So Renton, thank you so much for being with us this week. It's been so fun talking. This has been deep, some of this. I'm like, I'm trying to process some of the stuff you're saying. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm catching this. I'm, I'm trying to get, understand. Um, but I, I do appreciate your wisdom um, and just the experience that you've had in teaching and understanding and studying biblical worldview and sharing it with uh, me and with our audience. Uh, we're so grateful for you. Tell us again where people can find out more about you. Um, it's at worldview.bju.edu. And, okay, we'll uh, you'll put, find a lot of resources there. Yep, we'll put that link in the show notes. And do you have one last bit of encouragement that you would like to leave for our audience? Yes. Um, do not give up on on your on your homeschooling work. Um, it is, you know, you have those days where you just think, you know what, I don't know if this is worth it. But I'm telling you as someone who has gone through the process all the way up to at least 22 years of age uh, with our oldest son, um, it is it makes all the difference. So just keep plugging away. Oh, thank you for that encouragement. So many parents need to hear that. They need to know, doing okay. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is in it with you if you've invited him in to, to be part of your homeschooling with you. I mean, 
he is he is so much bigger than us and so much more powerful so right. so thank you uh so much Renton. and you guys thank you for listening we are so grateful for you i hope that you have been encouraged this week make sure you listen to the very end so you can get a clip of what's coming up next on the schoolhouse rocked podcast Again, you can find everything at schoolhouserocked.com, including our super cool swag and things that we have. All those things help to support the ministry of Schoolhouse Rocked. We love you guys. Have a great rest of your day. We'll see you back here next week. Bye. What we do at IEW is break through the, the noise of the grammar and the writing prompts, and we say, this is what you do step by step. And I've witnessed it over and over again, both watching Andrew teach and hearing from parents, this is the best writing program. We've made it so easy and made it really affordable. So any mom can teach writing to their children using our course, and we guarantee it. To try three weeks of free lessons, visit IEW.com rocked. This is her favorite Christmas tradition. She says, as opposed to a tree, we now set up a large nativity scene with twinkle lights behind it to mimic the night sky. And I think what I loved about this is, you know, when you do the like Christmas around the world and you teach your kids, like, you know, in Denmark, they put out their clogs instead of their stockings. And I love hearing just how different family, because that would never occur to me. One of, one of the traditions that uh, Sabina said that they do is caroling in multiple languages. Yes! And I was like, well, that's fun. Except, and smart I mean, Sabina, not all right? of us have multiple languages. How, and I'm so curious to know, like how many languages does Sabina <laughs> and her family know? <laughs> is it that's so like cool. English and Spanish? Or is it like English, Spanish, French, Portuguese? You know? I don't know, but she's clearly Chinese. one-upping the rest of our homeschools. I know. Because we it's speak really one language. Cool though. Or, I mean, here's the thing. You could you could find Christmas carols yeah, and in them. other languages and you could learn them. Yeah, that's so right? true. So, I, mean, I know Feliz Navidad to you, or at least uh, I know right? one that's line true. of it. Yes. I know yeah. a solid line of that song. Right. <laughs>